0: Hi, it's Eric Schlein. You're listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Ticker T-I-K-R dot com. dot com is focused on bringing institutional quality investment research tools to the individual investor. I had personally reached out to Ticker uh, because it is a product and service that I use myself, and I love it. Um, Ticker dot com is powered by S and P Global Capital IQ, has coverage of over fifty thousand stocks globally. With financials, estimates, valuation metrics, ownership transcripts—that includes presentations as well, not just you know quarterly conference calls. Also, news, filings, and more. You can join Ticker.com's free beta today. With Ticker.com/slash/intelligent—that's tik rcom slash intelligent um, For those that are listening in the car, if you don't remember that, if you have any other value investor friends that use Ticker, they can send you an invite code. So anyway, uh, with that ado, enjoy the episode, and please, 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 if you want uh, some great quality access to information and lots of financials, definitely check out ticker.tikr.com. Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the School of Graham and Doddsville, and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You are listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast. Today we have on Robert Jacobson, who is a partner with Space Advisors and Space Advisors helps organizations with their space strategy. So Robert, welcome to the show and give us a little context on what that even means. So space strategy.
1: Thank you, Eric. Uh, Wonderful to be here today. So uh, space, and I'm talking about space being outer space, and uh, and that's uh, technically about 62 and a half miles above sea level or 100 kilometers above space if you're at sea level. I guess if you're in Denver, maybe it's 61 and a half miles is considered the edge of space. And there is a revolution going on above our heads right now. Uh, You have governments using space in new ways. You have Private investment developing new capabilities in space. It's a bit like the what's going on, maybe it's akin to what happened in the in the '90s with the internet. You had a, a lot of infrastructure being invested into uh, digital technology, servers pe- and whatnot, and then you were able to get all the ubiquitous applications that we enjoy today. And people, you know, maybe in the '90s, you could say, "Oh, they could imagine email and." Crappy websites. But if you would have told them, like, oh gosh, could you imagine like dating apps and ways and navigation and all this other stuff? Some people would probably say, yeah, I could imagine that. Others would say, I don't know. That sounds like science fiction. Well, we have that going on in space. And whether you know it or not, you're probably utilizing a satellite in your daily life because, you know, satellites provide weather, the communications. Many of our banking and so much of our infrastructure will will have signals that just, you know, they'll go up to space and bounce off a satellite and come back to Earth. So whether we care or not, we are benefiting from many of the advances that are going on into this investment into new space infrastructure. And we're trying to help share with businesses and organizations how they can benefit from... Uh, potentially creating their own space strategy, how they would maybe leverage space in some unique way or just being kind of aware of it. Interesting. What is your background? Like, how did you get into this? It's, it's so interesting. So my background is not conventional for this. And maybe that's just kind of, you know, many times I have felt like, oh, I'm a fake because I'm not a rocket scientist. And that's it's a true statement. I'm not a rocket scientist. I built some some model rockets as a kid. But I have not built any uh, large rockets. In school, I studied music and business. I had kind of some parallel interests in, in just like kind of like super very artistic, creative focused, as well as always into entrepreneurship and like business, but kind of agnostic in that. And then 2004, something really important happened in my life. I had been heard about this thing called the X Prize, and there wasn't an X Prize Foundation. It was just kind of known as the X Prize, and it was a competition. The first one was to was to get in uh, a human to space but paid for by uh, with private funding. And I'd seen it in magazines. But you know, it's kind of like, don't really know when it's happening. <laughs> and then within a, like, a, I think a week before the first flight of spaceship one, which the first flight was June twenty first, 2004, they said, Hey, this is this is going to happen in uh, the town of Mojave, which is about 100, about 100 miles north of Los Angeles, there's an airport there has a history of a uh, Uh, Aviation Research and Innovation. It's near Edwards Air Force Base where Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier. And there was a team there led by a guy named Bert Rattan, who is an aviation innovator, a design legend. And he had built the uh, Voyager aircraft, which was the first aircraft to fly around the world unrefueled. So he was participating in this X Prize. And he had funding from the late Paul Allen, who was Bill Gates's co-founder of Microsoft. So they had this money, they were very legitimate, you know, having Burt Rattan participates like kind of big deal. You're like, okay, this is a credible effort. So a buddy of mine and I, we were actually playing a gig under at the Walt Disney Concert Hall in Los Angeles. There's a, another theater underneath it called Red Cat. And we were playing at a festival there. And this is, this is June, June 20th. I think it was a Sunday evening, 2004. And we're backstage. And I'm telling people, I said, hey, there's going to be this private rocket launch. Do you want to go? People we were like, eh, I don't know. It's like a Sunday night it's in Mojave. Who wants to go to Mojave? Well, a buddy of mine who was also a bit of a, I guess, a space and aviation buff, he had a background in physics and music. We decided to drive out there. We went out there and we are with, there were probably several thousand other people, a lot of families, RVs set up and the flight didn't happen until the early morning. But once it did, we both were changed. My buddy ended up, who was a teacher and musician, ended up becoming a flight instructor now. Very active in uh, the local Los Angeles flight community. And at the moment, I didn't really know how I would be involved, but I just knew that my my I was changed. And I said, "This was like it was a, it was a lightning rod." How does that change you? What, what like, is that what is a, What is
0: a visceral experience when you see that? So, so I feel I, like the way you're describing it is the way that you know people describe like being at like the Wailing Wall
1: in Israel for the first time, and something shifts inside of them. Or, and it's funny because I went to the I went to the Western Wall, known so as the Wailing Wall, for my first time in 2016. Yeah. And I don't know if I had the same profound effect. It's an amazing place, but what I felt that day in 2004 was I remember because it was okay. So June, I remember it being kind of cold overnight. It was kind of it was kind of chilly, windy, cold, a lot of wind, okay. and then they're constantly monitoring the winds because that was going to affect the, uh, the flights and the way uh, were you,
0: were you going in like expecting some life changing thing to happen? No, just like, I'm going to go see like a rocket launch.
1: It was like going to see a rocket launch. I was not really expecting, um, this is kind of cool. Whatever. Yeah. I was was just, just to go to go to a place, see something that was both novel, but I also recognized it was also historic because it would be the first privately funded human to go to space, you Mm -hmm. know, to go to, go to space. This was, so there was there was some wind, there was lots of people. This is pre-Facebook or whatever. So people are like checking phone. There were people weren't really on their phones as much. There were a lot of cameras, a lot of photographers, but any of the news we were receiving was just kind of like, you know, somebody said, Oh, I heard such and such is happening. This is going to happen in the next few minutes. There was a little bit more of an organic way that the communication was happening in the crowds. You know, it wasn't just like I'm checking my Twitter feed. And then after it came back, I said okay I've always I grew up in Florida I was as a child many people said you know want to be like a you know firefighter a doctor or astronaut or something astronaut was on my list okay but I realized it was not going to be through NASA because it NASA was more about following checkboxes and following a plan and it wasn't really about entrepreneurship or creativity or creating your own destination it was like you're really good at like following orders That's what it was about. And you kind of had to be sort of exceptional in other ways too. maybe path through the military or research or something like that, which is fine. It just wasn't my path. And I said, gosh, this could be a way for me to re-engage. The fact that there is a private opportunity, we didn't say commercial, it was like just a, a high net worth person who was funding and what I then started doing was I started going back up to this airport on weekends and trying to meet some people, but re- realizing it was, it was kind of a Monday to Friday operation and things on week- the weekend were kind of quiet. And I kind of got the, the signaling that, Hey, you want to go meet people in the space industry, come up here during the week or just go back to Los Angeles because Los Angeles is a very storied aviation and aerospace hub. And there's plenty of people that you can just meet with there. And I quickly did. And, and I had, um, and I talked to, a, there was a business partner of mine in real estate, and I kind of enrolled him on some of my vision. And then we really started there, meeting people, developing some people, became like loose mentors, doing some of my own research that was just both informational interviews, interviews talking to people, um, reading bo- books, both, uh, I would say, academic and periodical. And, and, uh, and I was always a, more of a self-learner. So it was just kind of pretty deeply going in. It's that way. And that led me into uh, eventually um, joining a, a management group with an um, investment group called the Space Angels Network, which was, a, which was a angel network focused on aerospace. They were doing aviation and space. Now they're mostly focused on space, uh, and I'm, I'm no longer affiliated with them. But it was a great opportunity to see this kind of intersection of kind of of special kind of a specialized technology and finance or early stage financing. And now fast forward to 2020, you have a fairly robust investment sector. You've got NASA working with multiple private commercial partners. A lot of these these activities are are less. There's less ha ha and like it's not really it's not as hyperbolic. It's really it's actually happening. You know you you have right. real things being developed in space and there's I just heard an example today that the the sat there was satellites used by it was com- I think commercially owned satellites combined with some um, AI, a company called Orbital Insights, helped give the world the insights on what was going on in China in the Uyghur regions in some of these um, whether you want to call them concentration camps, detention camps or whatever that that was discovered and made or at least shed light in the rest of the world because of uh, sort of this. Cut this intersection of uh, private space technology and AI, so we're generating new insights on our world, and especially in the environmental areas, there's a lot of uh, a lot of ways that we can we can we'll be able to better use um, our satellite assets to to monitor our world, which is changing. You know, like like what? For example, like the the fires of uh, we had um, we had some big. I mean, we've had a lot of fires in, in the west. For the past couple of years, and no longer just a fire season. It just seems like it's almost any time throughout the year. A friend of mine was trying to pitch an idea and it was just too premature. This is years ago about creating, he called it, I think, fire sat, where they were going to build small constellations that would have sensors so that you could look for even relatively small fires starting in pretty remote places. But I think he had pushback in terms of like, well, like who's going to pay for this and who's the ultimate customer, like, who cares if a little fire starts in like you know in the middle of a park or something? And I'm exaggerating. There are uh, companies that have are using satellites to track uh, the use of water. Um, they can do like places where there's a high amount of like say pools or lawns it's to basically see water efficiency, water use, because water districts are trying to do you know just optimize their planning and and, and what they're paying for water.
0: For instance, like with the fires, right? Maybe states like California, or Oregon customers of a company like that or you
1: would think and i don't know i should go back and ask my 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 friend rex if he did any customer discovery process i i don't know but you would think but i'd even heard that sometimes when they have these um the larger fires and they need to bring in like there's these large water tanker planes that scoop the water i thought that california had somebody here that they bring many of these in from canada hmm. And that there was idea that saying, hey, we should have kind of a, a domestic supply of these, and maybe they do, but maybe there's not enough. So I think it's kind of nuanced and complicated. And, and I don't, and I, yeah, why doesn't, uh, why, what could the state governments or, or a region that's exposed to a lot of this? But I think many times they want to kick the bucket over to the federal side and say, well, can't NOAA or NASA or someone else pay for this or the Bureau of Land Management or Land of Interiors, whoever, you know, nobody wants to pay for it. They always want to, they always want someone else to pay for it.
0: (laughs) That's kind of how it works. Tell us a little bit more about your just day to day, you know, what are you doing day to day in your role right now?
1: Well, right now I'm uh, I'm wearing too many hats in some ways. I'm trying to um, condense some of that. So do your uh, friends understand what you do? Do my friends understand what I do? Well, my wife thinks I'm a spy. Okay. <laughs> which maybe is sometimes when you're doing things that look like you you have to do um, like business development, which is sort of a generic word, it can mean different things for different industries. But like when you're trying to prospect for new customers for businesses and or a customer discovery, that's what it is you have to, you know, learning about, you end up doing a lot of research and phone calls, I could see why my wife might kind of like, think that. So just right before you and I got on this podcast, there's a a not-for-profit that I um, I started with as a consultant with among the founding crew, founding crew, I think is the term they use. It's called the Ark Mission Foundation. And it has the audacious goal of backing up earth civilization. (sighs) And by scouting advanced forms of data storage technology, instead of thinking of just storing things for a few hundred years or a few thousand, thinking of like millions or if not billions of years. And we put some uh, notable projects. We created uh, the world's first solar library inside Elon Musk's Tesla Roadster. We put um, it, was, it was kind of a symbolic gesture, but we put the Isaac Asimov Foundation trilogy series on a quartz disc inside the um, glove compartment of Elon's Tesla. And that'll, the disc could last for billions of years, it could outlast all the components of, the, uh, of that car as it travels around our solar system. So just before this podcast, I had a call with a group that we're planning on taking with us on one of our next missions. So we have a mission going to the moon. Um, it's our second mission. Our first mission to the moon was about a year and a half ago or so with the Israelis. It was a private Israeli lander on the moon. It crashed. But we think our payload, which was our disk on there, it had about 35 million pages of all sorts of data from Earth survived intact. And it was on a nickel disk. And this nickel disk will last for billions of years. And it encodes both analog and digital data. So the analog parts of it, if you would actually go on the moon and see it, if you just had a, a high school grade microscope, you could read the data off. You could actually see the pages that are, that are etched in there. So we're doing another mission. Hopefully, this one will land have a soft landing with a group called Astrobotic, their company out of Pittsburgh. And they're taking our second lunar library. So I was just talking to um, uh, a group that we're going to be taking some of their contents and what they've done. They're a group of artists and they created a project called the great pause. And I think one can look it up on Google. And in 2020, they asked uh, people to contribute what they were seeing outside of their window during the start of the pandemic. It's ongoing and they're taking photos And it was, you know, it's an art project, but there was, but because there were so many different types of things intertwined into 2020, on top of the pandemic, you get all sorts of interesting commentary when someone's just looking out of a window, or there was a great image they have of two individuals sitting at their computer in an apartment, they're separated by two different apartments, separated by a wall, doing the same activity, The photo is taken from outside looking in. So they don't know that they're basically working next to each other, but they're separated by a wall doing the same activity, sitting at their computer doing doing whatever. So we're taking selected photos and texts, and we're going to incorporate that into into that lunar archive that's going to go on 2021. So that's that's one thing that was happening. Uh, another activity uh, that is more day-to-day, I, I'm working with a company called Space VR. They're a virtual reality, a content distribution company that is combining virtual reality and flotation tanks. Hmm. And for those who might not know, um, flotation tanks have been around, I think, for like 50 years. They're also called sensory deprivation tanks they are usually they sometimes can look like pods or they can look like almost freezers you fill them up with water warm water get it to about temperature of a human body say 98 99 degrees you fill it with a lot of salt so that you're you're lying near the top of the surface and you get the, and once you're relaxed you get the sense of almost like being back in the womb or feeling weightlessness hmm. and an astronaut named nicole stott told the founder of this company space VR that Being in a flotation tank is probably one of the closest ways to to simulating a spacewalk or feeling what it's like to be in space. So the founder, Ryan Holmes, had been working virtual reality. He developed a um, float tank proof or like a waterproof VR headset. And he's getting his own content from space. And and he's matching it up with VR headsets. So people can go to these float tank places. And there's uh, a number of them around the world and have this simulated spacewalk experience. That's cool. So I don't know, where are you? uh, Where are you located today? What part of Uh, the country? I'm based
0: in uh, Philadelphia.
1: Oh, you're in Philly. So I think, uh, I don't know if there's one in Pennsylvania. I'm not sure, but there's probably a flotation tank center. And the way that um, space VR is growing, they'll probably get to um, Philly soon because he partners with existing flotation tank places. Sometimes they're like spas or health and wellness places, an activity one can do during COVID. Yeah, and sign about, me up for that. It's super fun. It, and you get to, it's like you're floating and, and it takes just a couple minutes to settle in. You know, first you feel the water and the headset. But once you're relaxed and there's a little bit of narration just to guide you, it's a really compelling experience. And it doesn't cost millions of dollars. You don't have to go train at NASA. You can have this kind of simulated space experience, basically. Uh, today almost anybody can do it. So so there are clients that we're working with and I really love that they could potentially bring this feeling in, uh, of space flight to to many people.
0: So now there's this whole world of I guess opportunity to invest in space related ventures. Can you, can you go into a little bit more about that and what the opportunity set is today?
1: Yeah, so There's different, you know, you can think of space in like a number of different verticals. So maybe we'll start with like the ground. So you can call it space land, which would be like space real estate. And there are places all around the, say you're an industrial real estate developer. You could look at in or near places where there is, they're looking at developing spaceports. There's places where they're taking existing airport infrastructure and trying to get spaceport licensing. It's a different type of licensing in FAA. And okay. think about what is some of the infrastructure or things that you might want to support around it. And let's just use a hypothetical. Maybe you're, you know, Spaceport America, which was a a new purpose built space facility built in New Mexico. And maybe you're like, I don't know. Maybe you're in the you're the health and wellness business in New Mexico. You've got maybe a you're you're managing or you own a, um, a spa up in Taos you know you could say hey i want to like create something down there that's kind of one area as we move and then you have on the industrial side those who are actually or contracting or service side to those who are serving directly the space industry whether they're you know whatever that might look like take a nasa any nasa center has thousands of people working there and contractors there and they need plumbing electrical all that type of stuff so that's just one way but have you as you move further up Then let's say you go over to Florida or maybe, or say in Spaceport America, where you're actually launching some type of launch pad, you've got launchers. There's probably now about, I think it's been tracked somewhere between like 100 and 120 different private or quasi-private, if you take China into it, companies trying to develop new rockets. They're called launchers. Some people will tell you, we don't need any more. This This is all fished out. While others... Will say no. There's still plenty of room, but SpaceX is probably the is definitely the big dog. (laughs) It's the big one. Yeah, that's the big one. And then you have some other companies like Rocket Labs and uh, Virgin Orbit, Virgin Galactic. Then you have the payload that those launchers might be carrying. Could be a satellite, which is a small spacecraft, unmanned. Mm -hmm. That has a variety of different uses. You could be carrying cargo to a place like the space station. So there's now not hundreds of satellite developers developing different size satellites, some of them are very, very small I mean, size of your hands, some of them are like microwave or dishwasher size, and giant ones like size of like a bus, and they have different performance characteristics. But the big revolution in a lot of a lot of the investments has been going on the smaller satellite size in hmm. part due to miniaturization of electronics. It's just like our iPhone, you know, we got a lot more power in these small things, It's not a big deal for us to, as the um, every year, every few years or so, people replace their phones when a new, more powerful one happens. It's happening with with satellites. You have these smaller satellites that are placed in lower orbit, so they're in a lower altitude. Mm -hmm. But because when you're in space, you're always kind of in free fall, these smaller satellites might not stay in orbit as long. We said, oh my gosh, if I just paid $100,000 for my satellite, and it's going to burn up in the atmosphere. Well, wait, that's not the, the whole story. So the disruption is that you can have many more of these. So rather than putting all of your CAPEX into maybe one very expensive satellite, which is still necessary, very high performance, they're now able to distribute the cost over many small satellites. And initially, a lot of these small sites didn't have propulsion, so they would fall back to Earth eventually and burn up. But they're now starting to design and implement ways to have propulsion so they can move around and extend the life of some of these smaller satellites, which have numerous uses. And many investable companies to invest in that are doing satellites. There's also then companies that are now providing the analytics for the data that's interpreted from that satellite. So whether you have a radar imaging satellite or a telescope, basically spy satellites are pretty much telescopes aimed at the at the ground.
0: Hold hold that thought for one second. Yeah. All right, go ahead with what you were saying. As always, I'll
1: continue with what these small satellites. Yes, these please. small yeah. satellites, it's they're a lot of bang for the buck and now there are groups that are basically creating either sometimes they have a use for just one satellite or they're building a large constellation where they need hundreds or thousands of these satellites. Because in aggregate, they can get a very high performance and cover the, cover the world. And that's where you get new business models coming out from like SpaceX with Starlink, where they want to provide internet to all over the world or remote places that don't have any or reliable internet. There's a company called Zona. They're kind of new to me, but they're creating a private GPS network. Basically, yeah. premium GPS that you would pay for. And you go, know, well, why would you need that? Well, they're going to be able to provide like 10 centimeter resolution. So they believe with things like IoT and autonomous vehicles that there will be a big opportunity that you can have um, that there's that organizations would pay for like a, a premium GPS model. And then if like, well, if we go and we look at, say, you have uh, some Earth observation satellites, which is another word for saying spy satellite, which is Also, basically, you have some type of telescope on the satellite looking at the ground. Um, I can see
0: why your wife thinks you're a spy now.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it's true. It's not just that you getting pretty pictures of like, so you have to be able to do something useful with the the photos. So there are um, dedicated organizations that are starting up just providing analytics. Sometimes it's people looking at the photographs, analysts. But many more times, they're using a software component like machine learning or something because they're, they're looking for a pattern or they're looking for change detection in between photographs. And then as we go a little further up, uh, a little bit higher altitude, say we're getting like a couple hundred miles, to 300 miles from uh, sea level, you're in places like where the International Space Station known as the acronym ISS. So you got to have a few acronyms if you're going to talk about space. They, they love their acronyms. That is a platform. You've got everyday people from different nationalities working very peacefully, despite whatever is going on in the world up there, doing all sorts of research up there. So there are companies now that are developing new ways of methodologies and manufacturing processes to do things in microgravity. And then there's now companies that are going to be developing private or commercial space habitats or stations. Some with a human, some fully automated, the first kind of foray into this was probably there was a group back in the, I think the late 90s, early 2000s, where they actually leased the Russian space station called the Mir. And then um, they, operated, they think they did a couple of private missions on it. And then NASA forced the Russians to, to basically splash the Mir, burn it up through the atmosphere because they wanted the Russians to focus on the International Space Station. But it kind of proved that like, you could do this commercial activity in space. You've got the ISS. But now, 20 years later, a company out of Texas called Axiom is building a commercial module, which will attach to the ISS. But if and when the International Space Station gets decommissioned, retired, they can detach it and build their own free flyer. And that's an investable company. I think they are either just raised $20 million in a Series A or B, things are Series B, I'm forgetting. But so you've got that component where it's like real estate in space, the habitat. And then you're like, okay, what are the types of activities you can do in that? And there are now companies trying to figure out what are the activities one would do inside the industrial space. And a little further out, but it's happening is like the moon. There's a number of private companies, some like well-known one is like Blue Origin, which is owned by Jeff Bezos. Can't really invest in that, but there are competitors to him that are just focused on uh, delivery to the moon or developing robotic lunar rovers, some mining aspects. I mean, it's a little further out, but it's but there's companies that will happily take your money today. So my view is that the the near term growth is in lower Earth orbit. This is like where you see these small satellites up until about the altitude of the International Space Station. But the human economic influence will continue to kind of like push outwards toward the moon. So eventually we're, I don't know if we'll be sending material back from the moon. I'm not quite sure about that in the near term. But there's definitely going to be commercial activity in terms of standing up um, fuel depots in space and on the moon. Anything that you'll need to kind of think of keeping the... Keeping the miners, I'm trying to extend that there are these opportunities that go from the ground, probably all the way out to the moon. A lot of those are still early stage, some pre-revenue. Satellite companies will probably have more where you'll see them producing revenue. So it takes high-risk capital. But you now have um, things like a Virgin Galactic, which has had a very long development program, but they went public through a SPAC. And you have... Um, I think Momentus, which is kind of a in-space tug and infrastructure company out of Silicon Valley, they're going public through a SPAC. So there's going to be some ways people kind of be able to kind of like put a little, you know, Main Street, Wall Street, put a little money in and like, and kind of gauge this. So there's maybe not a ton of diversity, but if somebody wanted to kind of explore a little more, there's now some like ETFs that are trying to explore space as a theme. Although you look at them and sometimes what they will define is like space companies pretty broad will <laughs> yeah. include maybe telecommunications companies or maybe they'll they'll say in their thesis that they're also considering like ai and and maybe yeah space companies can use ai but if you're just investing in it a- yeah
0: well i mean what if you're a say just an accredited investor you want to invest in some private space technology i mean are there conferences people can go to are there resources of you know, websites, you know, how do people even
1: find these opportunities? Well, and interview management teams. So, you know, so yes, yes, yes. So the, so on the uh, conference side, this space industry was notoriously guilty for having a lot of conferences. And I'm actually hoping that the pandemic in some ways has could rein it back a little bit, you know, things are online, but it was getting to the point where it's like too much travel. And and maybe that was a good, a positive sign for the industry when you see a lot of new conferences from new conference organizers from uh, outside of the industry too much travel
0: wait till you can get to the moon on a, on a way yeah
1: yeah ex- <laughs> exactly that we you know they're uh, gonna
0: do conferences on the moon someday when that happens
1: yeah hey it'll be that'll be awesome i mean right? i mean yeah i mean i don't necessarily want to live on the moon but like to hang out for like a week or something all Why the fun activities I mean, I could see the moon. Well, maybe when I'm old, it'll be a good place for your bones because it's like, you know, it won't be as painful. You can jump around. You can still have a lot of fun. It might be a better place to be than than on Earth. I wrote a book that came out, I give this shameless plug please, at least once, please do. called Space is Open for Business, the industry that can transform humanity. It's been very well received by people, uh, experts in and out of the industry. It's a great introduction to this industry for those who want to know, sort of, um, both broadly and deeply about, you know, how it's affecting us economically and socially, where the potential opportunities are. I don't like necessarily give like every answer because I'm not a, I don't exactly know how this is all going to go down, but I do sort of share the verticals and the way that one can explore things. And one thing I sort of suggest is I said, hey, if your specialty is maybe you're a doctor or an insurance agent or whatever you're, it is, think about what's in your own backyard, both literally and proverbially. And there might be a a business case that's not yet been explored. So if you want to start something entrepreneurial, that's a great way. Or if you're just investing and saying, well, gosh, I can't invest in rockets because that's just way too foreign. I need something more in my comfort zone. Look for businesses that might be more in what you're comfortable with or passionate about and see if there's something that's kind of got a, a space theme thrown over it.
0: But what about in you know, my original question? If you are an accredited investor and want to, you are
1: credited, so invest I, in something
0: very, very
1: niche, you know, a moon a moonshot investment, literally. So, so there are frontier investment platforms now that are now focused on things that are almost kind of like you're funding R and D, very low technology readiness level TRL level things that yeah. are just. Just barely out of a lab, maybe academic, they've got some IP and they'll say these are the potential use cases, got like some of this government funding, but still like high risk. Do, do that you have is some
0: websites bit- or resources that you could point with? Absolutely.
1: We can start with um, some. My friends at Propel X is a frontier platform. I know that Space Angels is still uh, available uh, my friends at Syndicate, um, I think it's seven hundred eight. Doug and Ellen, who manage it, and Syndicate seven hundred eight. Okay. They're doing great work. The uh, my friends at Starburst Accelerators, um, doing really good work globally. They're more of a, um, kind of like this. They're different. They're although they have accelerator in their name. They're not. They're they're kind of like a external business development for high for some growth aerospace companies on the aviation and space side, but they're just doing a wonderful job, kind of building community all around the world. It's my friends at Starburst. All right,
0: very cool. And uh, you know, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach out uh, to you if they have any more questions? Um, and
1: my, my site at spaceadvisors.com space is good. My book site, spaceisopenforbusiness.com. I'm on a lot of the social media channels. My Twitter... Just pretty active as 62 mile club. And that's the reference to the edge of space. That's nice. 62 mile club. Uh, Robertjacobson.com has a lot of like, kind of, I put out a weekly newsletter about ongoing um, space news. So, and I, so I try to keep, uh, I try to keep things diverse to, depending on what is you know, however people like to receive yeah. their content. So.
0: Well, Robert, this was incredibly informative. Like who knew there's a whole sector in
1: space to invest in. Uh, and I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much, Eric. It was uh, it was a lot of fun, and hopefully, you got some uh, some good value out of today's conversation. Yeah, fascinating. All
0: right, Robert. Well, I hope you uh, have a good rest of your uh, week, and I will talk to you later.
1: Great, thank you.
0: You got it.